The following program is sponsored by Friends of Life Outreach International. Coming up on Life Today. So as a 23-year-old woman, young woman, who had been convinced that this was the right thing to do, that this was a good thing to do for me and my future, um, here in parts of the fetus were left behind. I'd never thought about a fetus or a baby. I'd only thought about the crisis I was in. Finding peace with your past, purpose in your present, and passion for your future, next. Today, I'm Betty, and this is James. And uh, we've got, uh, th this is something that we should, this just really kind of bothers me. Now, I know it's a pretty <laughs> picture, okay? It's a shoe, and the title of the book is Life Unstuck, but there's gum stuck to the heel. Now, just tell me the truth. When you step in it, and it sticks to your shoe, do you just kind of wish you could find out who put it down there <laughs> and have a little discussion with them? I mean, when you, when you get that stuck, it's just not comfortable. That's right. But uh, this is a book about getting unstuck uh, when you really find yourself stuck in life. I, I like the little phrases, finding peace with your past, purpose with your present, and passion for your future. This is Pat Layton. She wrote a book called Surrender to Life. But this is really her story. It's an incredible story. Would you welcome the author of Life Unstuck, Pat Layton, to life today? Thank you. Pat, Thank you. I'm honored to be here. We're, we're glad you're here. And uh, like I said, that's kind of a yucky looking sight. <laughs> I, I really do. I, I think I could punch some folks out if I could. Why don't you put it there? There's so much here. I get it all. And I know that's not being very Christian, but you help me get it's unstuck and I'll right. be nicer to them. What, what, uh, I want you to just to kind of tell us what led you to write the book because it is in so many ways your journey and about issues where you were stuck and you're convinced Many people are stuck, and in fact, they are. And just tell us about how you really began to unload and tell us what was going on. Well, the book is based on Psalm 139, the 24 verses of Psalm 139, which has been basically my, the foundational verse of my life. I um, had an abortion when I was 23. I was raised in what what I thought was a Christian home, but I didn't know Jesus. Um, you know, my, my family and I, my sisters and I attended church when we were young, but I never had a personal relationship with the Lord. And so I went into college, met By my husband. By the way, do you think a lot of people go to church and never really I meet the Lord and do. don't have that relationship? <laughs> I think just, if you do. They miss, they miss that. And so you were one of those. That was, that was me. We were, um, you know, holiday Christians, basically Easter and Christmas, and um, went to vacation Bible school in the summer. So I knew about the Lord, um, but I didn't have a personal relationship with the Lord. So I actually uh, became a mom. I was married as a teenager. So I started my um, feisty years very young, got married as a 16-year-old, and had my first son at 18. When he was just a few months old, um, my teenage husband left us. He left a little note on the kitchen table that said, I don't want to be a father. I don't want to be a husband. Bye-bye. Mm. <laughs> and um, so my son never saw his birth father again after that. So I became a teenage mom, um, you know, a single mom. 
and started going back to college where I met my husband in college. And um, my husband today will be married 39 years. Uh, very soon. How did he accept the fact that you had a son and so forth? How he loved my it? son. Actually, I used to tease him that he really married me because he wanted my son. <laughs> so he fell in Praise love God with my that. son very young in college. And my son was just baby because, um, you know, his birth father had left so young. Sure. So my husband fell in love with him. So that was great. We fell in love. We were in college together. and uh, But we both came from very liberal backgrounds and were just living that immoral lifestyle of that of those years and um, never really knew any different. And during the, my college years, I became very pro-choice. I was um, very adamantly pro-choice because I had been a, a young single mom abandoned by a man. Had you looked back on that and, and ever thought, I wish I'd have done away with him, though, after having this little boy? Oh, Did gosh, no. <laughs> but isn't that you know? strange, though, that you would have I gone know, through a traumatic is. experience and had a child, right. and yet I guess you were thinking maybe at least it should have been my right. I should have had the choice. But right. you, you became a thing. kind of a very, what we would call a very liberal uh, oh, wow. thinker in that regard. And, oh, wow. and but as so, a couple, did you kind of feel like, well, we're not ready for another child right now? Well, we're trying actually, to get our career. It's, it's kind of worse than that. Mm -hmm. Like when you talk about when you think back, there are things that I think back on those days that are really unbelievable. I mean, I cannot believe that I was so blind. But I never offered my husband an option. When I discovered I was pregnant, I just decided I'm not going to have this baby. I'm not going to be stuck again. I didn't, I didn't believe that being in love would, meant that you would stay forever. So I was not ready to be a single mom again. I just wasn't in trust. <laughs> and so I made the decision. I was very convinced that abortion was a woman's right. I, was, I bought all the rhetoric. I signed all the petitions. I even wrote an article about abortion that was pu um, uh, publicized. I mean, it was uh, published. Yeah. And so I was very convinced. So when I discovered I was pregnant, I just made the decision myself. And I just informed my husband, I'm going to have an abortion. And uh, he, it was just during those days when, I mean, even my OBGYN that I went to for my abortion never said, you really shouldn't do this. Do you know how far along you are? Do you understand the risk? Because I believe that men, especially in the early days of abortion, were very, um, they were very silent about this issue. This is a woman's right to choose. Pretty well what people have been told. Right, actually. right. Mm -hmm. So I just announced to my husband I was going to have an abortion and very long story short, I had a basically had a tr very um, a botched abortion. Basically, I had an allergic reaction to the anesthesia that they used to put me to sleep. I stopped breathing in the middle of the abortion. I had to be put on a respirator. They had my husband had to call my parents, mm. so my secret was immediately not a secret anymore. So um, I ended up having to for again, it's kind of a long story, but I ended up having to have the abortion a second time. Mm. Uh, because of that emergency reaction. The key to that was that when I went back for that second abortion, the doctors announced to me, we're going to have to do this abortion again because during the procedure, parts of the fetus were left behind. Mm. So as a 23-year-old woman, young mm. woman, who had been convinced that this was the right thing to do, that this was a good thing to do for me and my future, um, hearing parts of the fetus were left behind. I'd never thought about a fetus mm -hmm. <laughs> or a baby. I'd only mm -hmm. thought about the crisis I was in. Mm -hmm. So um, I had the abortion. We, um, my husband and I went into our marriage. We were married. Uh, basically, it was just 
a life of hell. Uh, we hated each other and we weren't really sure why. My parents knew about the abortion right away. Um, but I walked away from that abortion because I didn't know Jesus and because I really wasn't even sure what was wrong with the abortion. You know, I was very convinced that this was a good thing. Um, I wasn't sure what was stuck in my life. Well, you said earlier <clears throat> that you, of course, being left once before by a husband, mm -hmm. you want to be a single mom again. Right. And you didn't, and you said a while ago, you didn't know how long love lasted. That's right. So that played, it had to have played it into did. it. It did. I mean, I just had so many, um, you know, so much wrong information mm -hmm. about love, about mm -hmm. marriage, about parenting, about women's rights, what it means to be a woman. Um, I was just a lost young woman. And uh, so after the abortion, though, I got up from that table and, and I knew that my life was, had changed, but I wasn't sure why. Um, so we spent the next seven years basically hating each other. We broke up, got back together. Sometime during the middle of that, we had another son. I always say that was a miracle in itself because I don't ever remember us getting along well enough to have a son, <laughs> but we did. <laughs> so we had two sons, and um, our marriage was just, it, it was just horrible, and things were just very bad and dark. and. Um, one night in the middle of the night during some a really dark time, I heard God's voice and during a breakdown in the middle of the night, and I heard him say, try me, come to me. Mm -hmm. And all I knew of, of the Lord was what I had learned in vacation Bible school. Mm -hmm. So I didn't know anything about, about Christ or anything about salvation, or, but I knew that Jesus lived at church. So, or I thought he lived at church. Sure. That was the only thing. <laughs> so sure. I picked up my two sons and I started going to church and I was hanging out in the Sunday school class and a, and a woman saw me there. And so this is my, my passion, you know, woman to woman, sharing the love of the Lord. This woman just recognized my lost self and she invited me to a women's conference. I heard the gospel for the first time. And um, I just went barreling my little self up to the altar when the opportunity came, uh, when I heard the gospel for the first time and um, just fell in love with the Lord. And um, immediately I started going to Bible studies and prayer groups. I had my own insurance business, but I was never there. I was always at a Bible study <laughs> and uh, just eating the word of God up and, and just loving on the Lord until then one day, I was, all of a sudden, I started turning off all my rock music on the radio and all my um, t bad TV shows and watching shows like yours. <laughs> and one day I was riding on the road and I was listening to a Christian talk show and there were two women talking about abortion. Mm. And that was the first time I even knew that God knew I had an abortion. So I thought, oh my gosh, I'm not saved. <laughs> you know, this is you know, Jesus doesn't know about this, you know, <laughs> what I did. And um, just through a series of his divine, amazing encounters, um, I began to be um, introduced to the truth that yes, he did know, and he still loved me, and that he was there and during the abortion, and, and he knew my pain, and he knew the brokenness of my marriage. And um, it was then that I was introduced to Psalm 139. I had only been a Christian for a few months when I heard that radio show. And so I fell in love with those words of scripture. Um, and so that's kind of when you ask where my journey starts. Quoting 139 jumped out at you. 
Uh, he knit you together in your mother's womb. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. But even the beginning, oh, Lord, you have searched me and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise. You know my thoughts become before they come and my words before they're spoken. All those intimate So he knew details. the little baby that you... Yes. But the good news was I realized in those verses that he did know my unborn baby, but he also knew me. He loved you. Yes, and every day was ordained before it came to be. My husband got saved. Actually, I surrendered my life to the Lord on June 9th, 1984. And from June to December, both of our sons and my husband all got saved. Yeah, wonderful. That's great. So, um, you know, we turned our lives to the, over to the Lord, and he began to heal our marriage and heal our abortion. Um, you know, I wrote my Bible study back then in those days. Um, it's called Surrendering the Secret. It's a post-abortion recovery study. Uh, LifeWay published it about six years ago. So, but you had something else happen too, related I had to what? Some other things to come about. What yes, happened? yes. Well, we, my husband and I, you know, we surrendered our lives to the Lord. God healed our marriage supernaturally within just months. Um, you know, as I said, we were all going to church and, and uh, you know, living this new wonderful Christian life. And uh, my husband wakes up one day and he says, you know, I'm trying to learn how to be a godly wife. You know, I had no clue how this was done, but I knew you were supposed to submit, and I didn't, wasn't really familiar with that word, submit, and uh, I didn't really like it at all. And uh, so one day my husband wakes up and he says, Pat, I think we should adopt a little girl. And, you know, so I practiced that submission thing, and I said, are you crazy? <laughs> you know, we have two sons, and at this time, God had called us to open Tampa's first crisis pregnancy center. So he healed us from our abortion and called us to open the pregnancy center. And uh, this was a new movement. I'm sure you're familiar with them now. There are about 3,000 pregnancy centers around the nation. So we were the first one in Tampa. So we were putting this in um, pregnancy center together. And um, so I said, no way, you know, you're crazy. And he goes to work that day and he gets a call from an attorney that he works with. And the attorney says, Mike, do you happen to know anybody who wants to adopt a little girl? Oh my goodness. And Mike says, well, I don't think it's Pat. You know, <laughs> we just had this conversation this morning though, but we are new Christians and we're learning to, you know, trust mm -hmm. God and this has got to be a divine appointment. So the attorney starts to tell my husband about this baby. He says, you know, it's, um, I just got, um, you know, the, the legal paperwork on this baby. She was born in a hospital here in Tampa. Her birth mother was a teenager. She was visiting her grandparents for the summer. She started to have stomach pain. So the grandparents took her to the emergency room. They sent her to the bathroom to give a urine specimen and she starts screaming. She has delivered a little, a baby. And so they start screaming, the nurses and all come running in there. They scoop this baby up. They uh, take the baby to the doctors and they, um, you know, check the baby out. It's amazing that the nurse that was involved in that just told me a story the other day that they do all these tests on these little tiny babies to kind of determine their life value. Is this child going to live or not live or, you know, so they determined that the baby was about 22 weeks gestation and she weighed about a pound and a half. And so there was this nurse on duty. They were told, let the baby, the baby's going to die. She's not going to live. She's too little. 
They instructed the nurse to wrap the baby up and just let her die naturally. But this nurse was a believer and she wraps this little baby up who is 10 inches long. She is a, estimated a pound and a half, 22 weeks gestation. All the scores say zero, no life here. Mm. And this nurse wraps this baby up in a blanket and she starts walking around, waiting for the baby to die, praying for this baby. And the mm. baby starts trying to breathe and live. And so the nurse takes her back to the doctor and says, doctor, this baby's not gonna die. She's trying to live. We have to try to help her. And the doctor says, take her back. We've been instructed not to revive her. So the nurse takes the baby back and uh, she's w waiting, praying. What am I supposed to do, God? The baby keeps fighting for her life. So the nurse decides there's times when you obey man's law and there are times when you obey God's law. And she takes the baby and she sneaks up an elevator, takes the baby to the neonatal intensive care unit and weighs the baby. The baby weighs 688 grams. By law in the state of Florida, if a baby weighs 650 grams or more, you have to try mm. to revive them. So the nurse takes the baby back downstairs and says, doctor, this baby is gonna live and not die. And you have to try to revive them. So that's what happened. So the, this nurse puts them, you know, backs them into a corner. They take this baby in. They start caring for her. They care for her around the clock for three days. And so that's when uh, um, the baby does live. She keeps living and thriving. And um, that's when the attorney called my husband. Tell us where the baby is now. My baby is now 25. <laughs> that baby. Yeah. That little bitty baby. Yeah. Yeah. And she's your yeah. daughter. She's my daughter. And your husband's daughter yes. who heard the Lord. Yes. And that nurse and a miracle occurred. Yes. And you talk about getting unstuck. I think that pretty well got you unstuck, yes. didn't yes. it? Yes. Yes. And you're getting a lot of people unstuck. Yeah. I really want you to get this incredible story. Life unstuck. You can get it online. You have a website. You go and you speak, don't you? Somebody wanted you to come. What's the website? It's Well, I'm at patlayton.net is my personal website. And then we have a new website for the book. It's lifeunstuck.com. Well, I really pray you get, don't you appreciate this incredible testimony of what God did on a little baby? And I think you may know my mother tried to have me aborted because I was I the know. product of a forced relationship. Mm -hmm. I, I just want to say to you that, you know, you may have made mistakes, you may have made an awful mistake like you just heard, but God is greater and His grace is greater. Right. Father, I pray for everyone who's missed the mark. We, we've all missed it. But Lord, we're, we're all weak. We've all failed. But you're so anxious to lift us up and to cover us and heal us. And look at the miracle you can make out of anything that has ever gone wrong. You are a master maker. With broken up pieces, you create masterpiece after masterpiece. Do it in the lives of people who are watching right now and listening. In Jesus' name. Uh, Pat, I just thank God for what he did. And you. and you know, we're reaching out and putting God's arms of love around people all over the world. And right now, we're reaching out to women who've been trafficked, who've I actually know, been yes. sold into sexual right. bondage. I want you to watch mm -hmm. this. Mm -hmm. And I think when you see, you're going to say, what could I do to make a difference in what I'm seeing? Please watch closely. Rainy's blessings are few. Life, here under an overpass, offers little. Little in provision. Little in protection. Yes, Rainy's blessings can be counted on one hand. 
But now, those blessings she holds dear have become targets of predators. So dangerous and volatile her environment, we felt we could only capture her story from the safety of a moving vehicle. Young children are apprised to the predators of the sex slave trade. And these areas run rampant with the most vulnerable and at risk. Sometimes those taken disappear forever, held captive and sold again and again. Mothers are crippled with questions unanswered. Other times, those questions are answered. While Rainey's loss will forever haunt her, she's fighting to protect her treasured ones who remain. But it's something she cannot do alone. With your help, Rainey and her children can be provided the safety and security they so desperately need. I can't even imagine, I can't imagine the, the warped sense of, of uh, the mental condition for someone to hurt a little child and kill a little child. I don't understand people taking people and using them for, you know, for some kind of a trafficked uh, predatory, uh, uh, let's say some sort of a pursuit or, or for the love of money. I don't understand that, but they're doing it, Betty. Well, what that mother, Rainey, said, she said, this, these are my treasure. To a mother, a child is her treasure. But yet, it's a profit to those that want to take them and abuse them and trap them and, and, and mistreat them and, and hurt them so badly that they never, most of the time, don't come out alive. But there can be something done. There can be some hope for Rainey and other families like that that think they're, some, sometimes, James, they come and they say that we want to help your child. We want to make life better for them but they're just lying to them so they can get them and use them for a profit for their own cause. Well, we can, though. This is the thing you've got to understand. Just like you saw those children, we, we can help them. And I, I, here, here's, here's how depraved this predatory industry is. And, and I want to remind you of something. This is, this is the last week now that we're asking you to help us rescue and literally restore these that we're able to set free. All, all, over, all over the world, thousands that the missionaries and the relief workers have found. And, and $128 is the average it takes to rescue one and take care of them for a year. And we're asking you to help us with that. I'm praying many people here during this last week would give $1,280 and say, let's rescue 10. But I want you to look at something. This is something I can't even show you anymore because this, th these people are so evil that when we've actually rescued some of these children, I want you to look into the, the, the greatest life center. Now you can only see those children from the back. The, these predators are so evil that now once they find out somebody's helped them or gotten them, they will try to get them if they can identify them. 
So even when we show you the children we rescue now, we can't show you their faces. We, we are dealing with something so vile and indescribable that the only way you overcome is the love of God that's expressed through you. And the missionaries and workers say, we're going to take care of these children, and we are. And so much of what we do is a hidden camera too. You say, well, why do you do that? Because God loves these people that are held captive. And Jesus came to set captives and prisoners free. And that's what we do together when we support this outreach. Would you right now dial that number during this last week and say, I am going to use my bank card as a check and I'm going to make the largest gift I can. Would you do that right now? We have some gifts to send you to bless you. That's why we're here to bless you. But we're asking you to experience the greatest blessing of all, and that's blessing others. Reaching out in love and literally set people free and give them a future. Would you do that right now? You can go online, lifetoday.org. Many of you are giving that way. It's wonderful. If you mail the gift, make the check to life, put in the mail, but call us and tell us what you're sending. We really need to know, as this is the last week. Please do what you can. Innocent children, created to be happy, loved, and cared for, are being abducted and sold at the hands of violent predators. Their spirit and bodies broken under horrific emotional and physical abuse. Through Mission Rescue Life, you can reach out to save children vulnerable to sex traffickers. You can help rescue those already enslaved. And you can restore their lives with hope for a future. Your gift today of only $128 will help rescue a child and change their destiny forever. With gifts of $64 or $32, we will combine your support with others to help rescue one more child from the shame and pain of sexual slavery. With your gift of any amount, we'll send you the Songs of Freedom CD, a collection of 10 uplifting worship songs that are sure to become a favorite for your quiet time, drive time, or personal worship. In addition to the CD, you'll receive Indivisible, a powerful soul-stirring book by James Robison and Jay Richards. Finally, please consider a gift of $1,280 to help rescue 10 children, and you may request this beautifully framed canvas print of The Forest Chapel by the painter of light, Thomas Kincaid. This is the last week. Please call, write, or make your gift online today. Well, Betty and I just say thank you and do remember this is the last week. Songs of Freedom, the book Indivisible. I want to remind you, go to stream.org. Go there for your news and to find out what we can do about the news we're concerned about. I want to say thanks to Pat again, Life Unstuck. And uh, there is her website. She does speak, communicate, bless, and help you. And this book will be a tremendous source of inspiration and encouragement to you. And with Jordan, Betty, and me saying thanks to Pat. Thank you, Pat. Thank, Thank you for being a blessing. What a great, great story. Praise God for what love does in impossible situations. Thank you so much for sharing that love. And thank all of you for being here.
As a child, Ontario Green was surrounded by drugs, violence, prostitution, and murder. Tune in tomorrow to find out what changed the direction of his life. Life Today is made possible by the supporters of Life Outreach International. Your gift will be used exclusively for the exempt purposes of life. The ministry features specific outreaches as examples of the programs it supports and conducts. Gifts are considered to be without restriction as to use unless explicitly stipulated by the donor. The ministry is a member of the ECFA.